0: This is your daily
1: real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Joe Robert. Thanks for being on the show, Joe. Dude, I appreciate having me on this beautiful day. Joe grew up in the Philadelphia suburbs and has been a lifelong entrepreneur who started in real estate in 2001 at the age of 19 and has invested in over 100 residential properties and 40 commercial properties. In 2011, one of his private investors led him to note investing where he bought non-performing mortgages from hedge funds and banks. Joe got in at the right time and acquired over 2,800 residential mortgages over the course of eight years. In 2014, he decided to make the move to Puerto Rico and participate in certain tax benefits known as Act 22. Joe, welcome to the show. Just from our conversation, uh, it's interesting, you know, all the things you've been able to accomplish in real estate and in the syndication business on the active side and the note business and as an LP. Uh, so looking forward to hearing a little more about your story and and, uh, and maybe even talking about, you know, moving to Puerto Rico as well. Uh, so, you know, get us started a little bit about just, you know, who Joe is, what, and you know, getting to where you're at now in real estate.
0: Well, I appreciate having me on again, and uh, you know, it, it all basically started. I would say back in in my teenage years, I started doing landscaping just to make money in the neighborhood and so forth. And you know, in high school, I didn't really want to participate. I didn't really want to be in school, and so I had the opportunity in 11th and 12th grade to be able to get out half days and be able to go to the technical school. And so I chose construction. And so that gave me the ability to be able to not be in high school all day. And from that experience, that led me to take those skills and start contracting work and landscaping. And that ultimately gave me experience to start acquiring real estate at 19. My first property that I purchased, I purchased outside of Philadelphia and I lived in that property and I fixed it up at the same time. So I was able to take uh, advantage of the tax benefits of living there for 2 years Mm -hmm. and exiting tax-free, which I recommend to everybody. I think it's a great way to get started. So that was at 19? Yes, correct. And how did you
1: finance that property at 19?
0: (laughs) Good question. I uh, had money set aside that I earned from doing landscape and contracting, and I had gotten some borrowed money and assistance from my mom.
1: You hustled and made it happen is what it sounds like.
0: Correct. And I think it's that uh, contracting experience and doing it yourself that allows you to be a better manager later on, you know what I mean? It's kind of like the, uh, as they say, like the architect and the builder, the architect can draw things, but if they're not familiar with how to build, sometimes it doesn't line up. So become a better real estate asset manager. I think it's better to be knowledgeable about how things work on the construction side
1: for sure. Okay, so moving forward like okay, you did that property 2 years, you you've sold it. Um you know what what were you an entrepreneur still at that time and still doing this house and then moving to, you know, your syndication business as well.
0: Yeah, correct. So I would say, you know, mostly this is in my 20s. So mostly in my 20s I was only investing in residential properties. At that point I kind of led uh, had my mom leave me and we started investing in r- real estate in the Outer Banks. I mean, this is Kind of before the whole time of the internet all exploding. So, you know, many people, you know, a lot of my friends were not investing in real estate. So you didn't have that type of network. So I was investing in real estate there. We did some small land subdivisions. We did some fix and flips. And ultimately, you know, the market changed in the 2000s and we had the big crash. And so from that experience, um, I've learned a lot of lessons. And that is don't be over leveraged and tr- don't have a lot of assets on your balance sheet that don't produce cash flow to sufficiently cover the debt. Those lessons I learned in my 20s, I am very glad that that happened because I think we all as human beings learn from our own pain, even if we listen to other people. So I'm very uh, grateful that I was able to go through that. And so that ultimately led me to starting to invest in the Philadelphia area in the uh, early about 2010, 2011. And it was a a piece of property that one of my private lenders were lending me on. That I heard about the uh, note investing. And so I attended the meetings and started purchasing notes. And then at that point, we decided to do our first uh, official raise, you know, to do a syndication at that point for buying a pool of mortgage loans. And our first raise was a million dollars. And I think, uh, you know, it was very interesting to say the least. <laughs>
1: So how how did that raise go? What are some details about that one you know your first raise had to be a million dollars. How did that go? What was the timeline and who were these investors?
0: The all the investors that came in there were all investors that we established relationships locally through the real estate meetups. And so I would say the biggest challenges of doing your first raise is usually If you don't already have an existing network, is actually establishing those connections and building a trust factor for a period long enough that they feel comfortable to come in and invest with you. So, you know, locally we always attended all the real estate uh, local meetings, and from there we were able to establish relationships that ultimately led to be able to raise that first million dollars. But the other challenge we have is, I think it's much easier to think it's easy to raise that million dollars from the people. And then when you actually go and do it, one of the biggest struggles is it's harder than you ever think.
1: Definitely. Especially in the beginning. What were a few of those challenges that you experienced? How did you overcome them?
0: I would say a few of the challenges that we, you know, mostly uh, face was the ability to actually be able to raise the full million dollars. (laughs) I mean, that was really, I mean, you know, we didn't come from a background of, uh, high net worth relationships or a family with lots of money um so you know it was just a matter of continuously attending the meetings for the period of a year that took for us to raise that and presenting our story presenting our case and our experience and you know already have started doing the deals on the side prior to that we were able to bring in those case studies and kind of present that to the investors so i think that's always a strong area to come from is either have previous experience or partner with those where you could gain those case studies to present to future investors.
1: Great points, right there. So, I mean, you've been establishing these relationships for a year. I just want their listeners to hear that. You know, you were hustling, going to meetups, meeting these people, building these relationships, but then also, uh, and it's something we hear often in the industry when you're getting started, is having that uh, something to present to them, right? That case study, like you talked about. Like, this is what we're planning to do, this is what it. Should look like pretty similar to this, you know the one thing that's guaranteed is that it won't look exactly like what we have on paper right ever uh, but but this is you know pretty similar um, so some great points there, so did you get the million dollars raised
0: yes we, we did end up getting the million dollar raised, and also along the way, we met one in particular but a couple other capital partners that were able to later on bring a better a bigger piece of the pie to the deal and kind of do some partnership stuff. I think that kind of will go parlay into the next thing is that when people are sometimes doing a syndication, I think they think about how many different people they could get or going very broad and kind of what has worked for us over the last 10 years is that sometimes having one or two whales partners and um, maybe you could look at it as family offices or a fund of funds, Someone who specifically raises capital and then partners with uh, another operator, I think is another great way to be able to bring the money together and execute on a deal. Um, It's a lot less work rounding up a lot of checks versus one check. And so beyond that $1 million raise over the last 10 years, what we have done is strategically work with a couple people where they were able to bring in the whole check size or three quarters of the check. And also bring operational experience to the deal.
1: So, speak to that just a little bit there in detail before we move on. As far as the difference in uh, just that relationship, you know, there's there's many different t- you know things there uh, as far as working with a family office, you know, on a project, and and uh, you know some of the ownership there or who has control, things like that, versus you know having a list of twenty investors.
0: Well, I, I guess with the 20 investors you have, uh, typically you're going to have total control, right? I mean, you're going to have total right. control of that operation. Um, when you're bringing in more of what we'll call it a whale or a partner, I guess it depends on your structure, but what has worked, what we have done is we are typically the sole manager, but there's like carve outs or something that kind of gives them insights into financials and allows them to have visibility to everything. And then if certain things are not hit or there's certain bad boy carve outs, right? We'll call it. That they have the ability to kind of take over that management operation role.
1: Yeah, no, that's awesome. I appreciate you uh, speaking to that. Uh, it's a often question, you know, like when can we start working with family offices? Should we even? Uh, and so, but let's move on just a little bit. I know you, you know, your career has taking you a few different places in the real estate industry. You know, you grew the 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 note buying uh, or mortgage business, right? Uh, and uh, you know, so. You know why? Uh, you know you, you grew that, but now you moved into syndication as well. As far as a multifamily, is that right? Or or as an LP? I can't. remember. Yeah,
0: correct. We're, I'm doing a little bit, a couple different things currently at the moment. I mean, I, over the last year, I uh, definitely got into a deal or so under as an LP. The reasons I see that is at at the highest level, what I'm seeing across all areas in the world of business is basically companies are kind of becoming a private equity firm. right? They have their main main business where they generate a lot of operating uh, income. And then they have areas that they can't reach or they don't have expertise in. And so I think having a operating business, but also having an arm where you can participate in other deals gives you reach into other markets or into other operators that have deals that you could specifically select that have a higher return and that you believe that will do well.
1: Nice. Tell me about like where where you see yourself five years from now or ten years from now, as far you know you've you've had this progression uh, you know and, and you you talked about how you got started and the million dollar raise and note
0: buying business and now as an l
1: p you know what's what's where's Joe at you know five ten years from
0: now uh five ten years from now uh the biggest the main goal I have is kind of have two divisions uh the real estate division, where we you know syndicate or operate our own deals and then we also participate as an LP in deals and or partner with certain operators where we could bring all the capital to the deal and have some kind of uh, control over the deal. And then I also have a, another side that we've been doing some uh, venture investing in tech and have that arm where we invest in startups and so forth. I mean, currently, I'm looking at example, a uh, a drone-based startup for real estate. So, I think what people are starting to see is that everything's going to come together as one, right? I mean, tech is playing out in, in real estate and C prop and all that. And so it's going to all become automated over the next 10, 20, 30 years. So I think having investment in both angles allows you to participate in all the markets.
1: Sounds like you want to become your own family office. That, that's kind of what <laughs> I'm basically great, right? saying, right? <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, that's kind of what that's what I am basically saying. I think that's, uh, you know, and then if, if in 10, 15 years, that allows my kids to participate, that would be great.
1: Yeah, Yeah, that's a great plan. Uh, tell me a little bit about and I've heard I've met numerous people recently who have moved to Puerto Rico or have in the past, you know, for the tax benefits. Could you speak to that a little bit? Because uh, there's probably many listeners who are not familiar with that uh, and why people would do that.
0: Okay. Well, uh, at the high level, there's pretty much no what's known as Act Twenty and Twenty Two, and Twenty Two is a uh, exemption of uh, capital gain income, and that basically is off of most securities. So it actually brings your capital gain rate down to zero percent. So if you become a resident of Puerto Rico and live there for over 183 days, which is the residency test, the basic residency test, uh, it allows you to participate in getting these tax decrees, and the tax decrees. Allow you to participate in the 0% capital gain tax. So, example would be if you buy, after you move there, if you buy Apple stock and then it doubles, you could sell that and there would be a 0% tax rate, right? Uh, No AMT, nothing owed to the US government. So, depending on what business you're in, it can be a great benefit. The other is Act 22, or Act 20, I'm sorry, is where you actually can source income down there and pay a 4% corporate tax rate. So you're basically living on Puerto Rico and you're providing services from Puerto Rico to outside companies or your companies onshore of US. So an example could be maybe you're managing uh, properties owned in the US. And so you kind of set up your property management division down there. And so you source management fees down there and that would be paid at the 4% tax rate. Now, if you're asking about real estate stateside, the sale of real estate stateside is always taxed in the US, you know, for any outside party. So that part would not be considered under any capital gain exemption or anything. But if you're a mortgage and note investor and you're doing that passive passive activity, that would be considered a capital gain. So if you buy and sell notes in Puerto Rico, you could qualify for the zero percent tax rate.
1: So do the investments have to be made while living there?
0: So there's two part. If you move there and already own existing assets, you're supposed to do a uh, basically a price discovery on about the day you move. Mm, okay. So it's much easier to acquire those assets or securities after you move there because there's no price discovery. But if you already own existing, uh, you'll do that when you move there. Or you pro, some might tell you, you actually prorate the income. So, an example is if you own a asset for uh, one year before the move and then you sell for one year after, you prorate 50% allocated to the US federal return and 50% to the Puerto Rico.
1: Okay. No, that makes complete sense. Yeah. I just, I wanted you to highlight that just a little bit because I've, I've heard more and more people talk about, you know, moving down there for those benefits. Uh, and I can see why they, you know, potentially want to do that. Uh, I'm not sure it's for me or my family, but
0: uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that is, I guess that's the next thing. I mean, uh, people always ask me, I go, listen, you, I can't answer it. Uh, I can answer it on a broad base because everyone in life has a different experience. I have Other couples that, uh, you know, lived there for a handful of years and they moved back. And I had one buddy that went back to California, you know, he's paying like a 50% tax rate. And he's like, he just wants the quality of life that he's in California, his wife wanted and the uh, accessible, you know, to amenities, hospitals and so forth and living out there. So I would like to say that doesn't fit everybody, that's something of interest that you should always go down there and at least hang out for a month or two. I think uh, there's a lot of great benefits and it depends on you know maybe your marriage and you're, if you're single or whatever.
1: So Joe, what's been some challenges or maybe even the hardest part of just this syndication
0: journey for you? I would say one of the biggest challenges I had uh, was actually acquiring a deal in Puerto Rico about maybe about 5 years ago. Being that we were newer to the market at that point, there was a lot of bad well, I guess there still is, but a lot of bad news being portrayed you know online and so forth about Zika and the economy blowing up and the bonds and everything. We decided to participate in a commercial reo offering from a bank through one of the broker relationships that we had, and uh, we utilized a local analyst there, which I always kind of recommend it's a great way to a great way to underwrite deals is to outsource. To an analyst that is familiar with that local market and has experience. And we ended up getting awarded that deal. And when we went to talk to our you know, one capital partner that we were working with at that time initially, he was uh, very thrown off and didn't want to do the deal. <laughs> and so we were kind of uh, a little worried about being able to execute that deal. You know, with persistence and kind of giving up more equity and, you know, better terms available, we were able to do that. I think that was one of the biggest challenges that I've had. I haven't had any great problems or anything over the last 10 years.
1: What about, uh, how, how do you prepare for a potential downturn?
0: I would say that over the last 24 months, we have participated in a lot less deals based on my experience in the 2000s. You know, uh, quite a few assets that we had, we actually were selling off in 2017, 2018, and have minimized the deals to a point where our outstanding debt, you know, can be managed through a downturn. So, I I guess based on like if you did a sensitivity analysis, is, you know, if you have a certain vacancy or certain uh, lack of cash flow in whatever deals you're in, can it be covered in a downturn? While that's working well, maybe that leaves deals on the table though.
1: What do you predict to happen over the next say 6 to 12 months in the real estate market?
0: I'm like 50/50 and and the only reason I'm 50/50 is in the aspect is the Fed is kind of printing whatever they want to do to prop things up and and creating laws or moratoriums that is kind of saving everything. So without knowing how far they will go, it's kind of a hard prediction to make cuz in the beginning of the year we all thought we were going to see deals galore in about a year because Of all the forbearances, mortgages, commercial, and everything, but with everything being propped up, I think it's a hard position to make a you know a forecast. I would just say what I'm currently doing is minimizing how many deals we get into until we get past that point. And if I miss opportunity, that's okay for me too, Um, because I think there's also a part that says the economy is doing well, and there's a lot of liquidity in the system that can keep the things going for another few years, considering the Fed also announced that they want to leave the interest rates basically where they're at for a few years kind of uh, leads me to believe that you know cap rates will stay compressed and rates for financing is going to be cheap and that's going to drive sales ultimately for cash flow for investors
1: Joe I believe anyone that's successful in this business and most businesses has to have a high level of self discipline how did you gain such a high level of self
0: discipline by the by uh the losses. <laughs> no, but seriously, I would say that, uh, you know, from my 2000s experience kind of just being in deals that uh, you know, may were over leveraged, didn't have cash flow, um I think that that ultimately has led to success over the next 10 years because it was those lessons that were learned that made me become more disciplined and take on less risk. Do you have a daily
1: habit that you're disciplined uh, you know, that helps you a disciplined about that helps you achieve success?
0: Uh what I've been doing is Basically, I got like, uh, you know, this little this y- yellow sticky here and I put about three or four things on there and uh, I've been getting up. I'm hitting those three or four things at least for the first few hours and getting those done because sometimes uh, after, the f- <laughs> after the first half of the day, I seem to uh, not be as well focused. So I leave more phone calls, outreach and different things for the afternoon and get those three hard things pushed out in the morning because that's my best time of the day.
1: What's a way you've recently improved your business that we could apply to
0: ours? I would say probably at the highest level, I mean, it's just software, right? I think, uh, you know, software can drive people crazy in choosing one. But I think when you pick the right software, you actually can make things uh, more run more smoothly. So whether that's a, a project management software or investor communication, I would say that's probably number one. I mean, and also, uh, you know, just building out your processes.
1: What's a a software that you've used for building out your processes?
0: You know, one of the experiences I just had recently is, uh, you know, we in a project management, we were in a a Rike the last couple of years and I was, you know, we were having a lack of use. And so we we actually moved to ClickUp, which is about a quarter or a third cheaper. And everyone is, it's just a much more usable product. And so we're actually right now in the process of, Finishing out our workflows and so forth in there, and I'm just having a better usability from my people.
1: Nice. I've heard a couple people mention Clickup recently. Uh, Is that, uh, you know, did you check out things like Asana or Monday.com and Trello and those things? And, you know, is this something that you were like, wow, this is a lot better than those?
0: Correct. I didn't dive deep into all the other ones. Uh, Like I said, I came from Reich, but I also had my one VA. She's worked in Asana and so forth. I had her do an overview of a few of them. I know Trello is kind of a basic board. Clickup seems to be hitting all types of avenues. And just from going from Reich and then into the trial of Clickup, I just had the ability. I guess the highest level, if you could go into a software and find yourself being able to move around and actually do things without going through a big instruction manual, it's going to be much easier for the users to be able to use, right? And so when I went into there, it just kind of flowed well. What's your best source for meeting new investors? I would say. It has been in person meetings over the last 10 years. It's been in person meetings face to face. Number one thing that's contributed to your success? Network. Network equals net worth, definitely. So, back to that solid handful of relationships I built over the 10 years are people that if I have a deal or something, I could just call on and get one, two, three, four, five million dollars from. Is maybe I'm paying a little bit higher, you know, cut to them, but it makes the deals a lot smoother.
1: It's less than not doing the deal, right? (laughs) How
0: do you like to give back? Currently, I've been, uh, you know, uh, I guess working with a select few and kind of coaching them or giving my own advice and providing my lessons I've learned for them to hopefully not make the same mistakes.
1: Nice. Well, Joe, we're grateful for your time today. Great show. Just, I mean, you just it, right off the bat, you're just providing tons of value to the listeners and myself. I mean, don't be over leveraged. Don't have assets on your balance sheet that aren't cash flowing. Uh, you know, just numerous things that you mentioned there. You know, now you're you're an LP, just talking through your process in the, in the mortgage buying business, but then also even living in Puerto Rico and the benefits of that, uh, and, and who that might be for and who not. Uh, but uh, and just some challenges that you experienced raising that million dollars. You know, right off the bat, and and even documenting these processes processes and whatnot. Uh, Joe, tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you and learn more about you.
0: The best way to get in touch with me is uh, you could search Joe Robert through all social platforms. I'm on most of them. I probably pay attention most to Facebook, or you could go to JoeRobert.com and you could subscribe there.
1: Awesome. That's a wrap, Joe. Thank you so much. Thank you, Whitney, for having me on. I appreciate it. Don't go yet. Thank you for listening to today's episode.